Happy Easter. Amen. God is so good. Yes, he is. I would like to welcome you to a wonderful Sunday, our first Easter in our new building. I'd like to welcome all of our guests. Thank you for joining with us on this special day. We are so honored that you are here with us. So thank you for coming out this morning to the Avenue Church. My name is Justin Graham. I'm the lead pastor here at the Avenue Church. And we are the most exciting church in Morristown, Tennessee. So you may be seated this morning. And as you do so, I want you to say, neighbor, you're looking good. Looking good. Thank you, thank you. Real men wear pink, right? <laughs> you know, when you get married, you, you don't really have a choice anymore. You kind of just do what you're told. So when, when the wife comes home with a bag, she pulls it out and says, this is for you. You say, thanks, babe. <laughs> Thank you. Today is Easter. And another reason why this day is so important is because it validates the church. If Jesus didn't come back to life, the church would not exist. It would be a dead faith. But because he lives, we are the church, and we can change the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. Will you stand with us one more time for the reading of God's word this morning? I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 23. The title of today's message is Jesus is the Answer. Jesus is the Answer. Now I'm going to take us through a couple of events that took place around 2,000 years ago. So I'm going to read a couple of different verses here. I usually don't do this, but for the sake of time and not having to, to read a lengthy amount, I'm going to read a couple of verses that stick out, and then we're going to dive right into it. Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 33, we're going to read 33 and 34. It says, this is about the crucifixion of Jesus. It says, when they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified Jesus there, along with the criminals one on the right and one on the left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. And I want you just to put a marker right there and jump over one chapter to Luke chapter 24. Starting in verse 1, it says, On the first day of the week, this is after the crucifixion, after he died, been buried it says on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. And so the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the man. He is not here, but he has been resurrected. And because I want us to get the full aspect and the full spectrum of the 
Easter story. In Matthew chapter 28, in one verse, in verse 20, when Jesus was getting ready to leave this earth, after he'd been resurrected and after he'd shown himself to people and proven that he's alive, he was with his disciples in verse 20 of chapter 28 of Matthew and said, Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. I need to preach to you what I feel are three of the most important parts of Easter. Jesus is the answer. Let's pray this morning. God, thank you for your word. And again, Father, we say thank you for your son, Jesus. Father, I thank you for every person that has come out this morning to worship you. Thank you for all of our guests that are with us today. And God, thank you for the life you have given us and the blessings that you have given us. And we thank you for your word. Father, over the next few moments, I ask that you would help me to speak your word and what you need to say to us individually. Speak to our hearts and help us to be open to the power of your word and be sensitive to the power of your Holy Spirit. God, I'm asking that lives will be changed today for your glory. Let people know that you are the answer they need to win this life. You are good, God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Church, today is Easter. And we had the privilege and the honor to celebrate the resurrected life of Jesus. And today I have the distinct honor of presenting to you the greatest man to ever walk the face of the earth. I'm talking about a man who is in no need of any introduction, but just in case you don't know, and possibly because we might need a little reminder, I would like to tell you who he is. He is Jesus. This man has walked on water. He's turned water into wine. He's healed the sick. He's raised the dead. He's caused blind eyes to open and deaf ears to open. He's made dumb speak and lame walk. Some say that he's the lily of the valley. Some say that he's the bright and the morning star. Some say that he's the rose of Sharon. And some say that he's loved the unlovable and reached the unreachable. And I would like to say to you today, yes, he is all of that. But I would also like to inform you today that he is the king above all kings and the Lord above all lords. He is the alpha and he is the omega. He is the first and he is the last. He is the beginning and he is the end. No one can compare to him because no one is above him. Jesus Christ is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is our savior. He is our redeemer. He is our hope. The lamb of God. The atoning sacrifice for our sin. He is the savior of the world. And because he came and fulfilled all of this. We, an audience of one, can stand here today in amazement of who he is and believe and know he is Jesus and he is alive. Yes. Amen. John fifteen thirteen says, no greater love, no greater love than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus lived out the greatest example of love this world has ever seen. And we are here to celebrate Jesus. 
And I would like to preach to you three simple yet amazingly life-changing characteristics of Jesus. And I'm going to need some help today. You ready to help me today? That sounded a little pretty good. You ready to help me today? All right. So number one, if you're taking notes, Jesus is grace. Somebody say that. Jesus is grace. In verse 34 of chapter 23 of Luke, it says, Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. You see, grace is hard for most people to define, let alone embrace. And the word is found throughout the entire Bible. In fact, it's arguably the, the most important concept and term in the Bible. Grace is the foundation of Christianity and the essence of salvation. As such, we should probably understand it. You see, Webster's Dictionary has eight different definitions for grace, including these four that you have probably heard before. One, a charming or attractive trait or characteristic. Two, approval or favor. Three, a title of address. And four, a short prayer at a meal. And Webster's top definition, however, comes closest to the biblical meaning of grace. And it says this. Unmerited divine assistance given to humans for their regeneration or sanctification. Let, let me explain it in this way. In Luke chapter 15, we have probably one of the most famous stories of the Bible that Jesus told. And it's the prodigal son. And here's a father that has two sons. And one of his sons says, you know what? I, I want what you have stored up for me. I want you to go ahead and give it to me now, dad. All, all the, the, the finances and your 401k, just go ahead and write it off into my name. And so whatever this father had for his son, he said, okay, here, take it. And so this son takes it and goes to a distant country. And, and the Bible says that he, he goes to Vegas and he blows it all. Some of you amen, and you had no idea. I just said Vegas in the Bible. <laughs> hey, I, I had no idea that Vegas was around back But the Bible says that this son blew all that money. He had nothing to live on, no food, and so he worked for some people, worked with the pigs and the hogs, and he would even try to get to where he can get some of the scrap from these pigs, and he, they wouldn't even let him do that. And so finally he comes to this realization that, hey, maybe if I go back to my father's house, maybe if I go and plead and beg for his forgiveness, beg for his mercy, that, that maybe he will forgive me and accept me back. You see... What, what you need to understand is this. God loves people and rejoices when they turn to him. And this son goes back to his father and he pleads with his father. And his father comes and, and runs when he sees him on his way and embraces him. He's filled with compassion and he kisses him. He says, you know what, son, I love you so much. And they throw an amazing party for him. Welcomes his son back into the family. You see, we have a bad habit of thinking this story is about a father accepting the son's apology and having mercy upon him. Yes, we must understand that for there to be forgiveness, there must also be repentance. But this son's self-condemnation could never make him worthy of being accepted of his father's grace. Let me explain it like this. I have two kids. And they sometimes probably think, oh, father, I'm so unworthy. But I can imagine this son, when he's blown it all, 
trying to figure out how he can get back into his dad's house. He pulls out one of those fancy feathered pens and dips it into some ink. And he gets out one of those fancy scroll pieces of paper and he says, Dear Dad, you are so cool. I, I really miss you. I miss throwing ball in the backyard. And he wads it up and throws it out. That's, that's, that's silly. Dear Pops, if I could describe you in one word, you are the most amazing man to ever walk the face. Ah, that's stupid too. And he throws it out. Then he says, Father, I have blown it. I have messed up and I have sinned. Please forgive me. And so he goes back and he shares this with his father. And you know the story. His father is filled with compassion. He don't even care about that. He runs to his son. Embraces him. You see, my, my kids, it's like if we were around our dinner table one night. And one of my children saying, oh, great, awesome father of mine. I think that maybe finally I've done it. And I would say, oh, yeah, what's that? I think that just maybe I'm worthy to be your child. <laughs> when in fact, that would probably just tick me off a little. Worthy? I would probably say something like, boy, you're crazy. Get yourself something to eat out of the food that I bought you. Go play with the toys that I bought you. Go put your Ninja Turtle PJs on and your Hello Kitty pajamas on that I bought you. Go sleep in your bed that I provided for you. Worthy. Those are my kids. I love them. They mean everything to me. I'd do anything for them. I'd die for them. It's never been about how good or how bad they are. And it will never be that way. Being a son or a daughter has nothing to do with being worthy. We are sons and daughters of God by birth, not by worth. And that's why Jesus said that we must be born again. We must be birthed. You see, no, no baby in this world is, is born as a result as for, from his or her own effort. You don't see a doctor hollering down the birth canal, Come on, boy! You got this! You don't see him with a megaphone just saying, Come on down! You can do this. It all depends on you. When in reality, the mom is working hard. Amen. And the dad claims that he does. <laughs> I came out fine. I, don't, I had no problems. But the baby is just along for the ride. You see, spiritual, spiritual birth happens by grace when we believe. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is God's gift. Not from works so that no one can boast. We are saved by grace when we believe. Believe what? Simply that Jesus exists. That he paid for our sins when he died. And that he rose again to make new life available to each of us. Our sonship is not based on our performance it's based on Jesus' finished performance and our faith in that he finished that work. When Jesus cried out from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was speaking for generations to come. He was interceding for us. He knew that we would never be good enough. It's only by grace through faith that we can be saved. Jesus is grace and he is amazing. 
You will never be good enough. You will never earn it. You will never be worthy of it. And all you have to do is learn to accept it. Jesus is grace. Now moving along. In verse 6 of the next chapter in 24. We discover that Jesus has conquered the grave. And he is alive. So Jesus' grace which is the fundamental foundation for salvation. Jesus is grace, but number two, he is also alive. Jesus is alive. He is not here, the angel said, but he has been resurrected. Imagine that first breath that Jesus took when he came back to life. Just taking a deep breath in, ready to take care of some business. Man, what a life. Sent to earth to live a perfect life. Sent to earth to die for our sins. Sent to earth to take authority over hell and authority over darkness. Sent to earth to conquer the grave. Sent to earth to make a way for me and you to get to heaven. What a purpose. Have you ever thought to yourself, this can't be all there is to my life? There's got to be more to life than this. You're alive today, but are you really living? In Ephesians chapter 2, we find in verses 1 through 7, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his love, his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah even though we were dead in sin, dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. Together with Christ Jesus, he also raised us up and seated us in the heavens So that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Jesus is alive. And many of us today are always in hot pursuit of the life. If only I could have the job that would bring in six digits. Man, I would be happy. If I could roll up in my new Mercedes Benz decked out with the rims rolling and the stereo bumping, man, I would have the life. If I could roll up with some Gucci glasses on and, come on now. Ladies, how many purses do you have? What, what, what's the popular purse that everybody likes? There's too many. That's a problem. That's, that's a problem. If I could just have the, the, the perfect wife or the perfect husband, the perfect children that never whine, never complain, man, it would be the life. If my boss would just get off of my back, that would be the life. We all want to have that one thing that's going to make us feel like we're truly alive. If I could have all the friends in the world, if I could roll with that crowd, if I could have this, if I could have that. We all want that something that's going to fulfill us and make us feel truly alive. The truth is this. At the end of the day, we lay our heads down at night on our pillow and we know something's not right. You see, a marriage can't make you truly feel alive. A second marriage can't make you truly alive. A big bank account 
can't make you truly alive. And contrary to popular belief, your new 72-inch flat screen HD TV cannot truly make you alive. Well, Pastor Justin, it comes pretty close. The problem is this. Because of sin, you have been separated from God. And until you have Jesus in your life, you will continue to search for the one thing to fill the void that will make you feel alive. The scripture I quoted to you in Ephesians says that we were dead in our sins. In other words, life without Jesus is not life at all. It's death. And no matter how much stuff you have, if you have sin in your life, if you are ruled by sin and you don't have Jesus, you are not alive. Can life in sin be called living? Not really. You see, sure, you're breathing. Sin will let you breathe for a while, but it will never let you truly live. So I've got good news and I've got some bad news. The bad news is this. We are all sinners. And the consequences of that sin is death. But the good news this morning is this. You can have eternal life in heaven through Jesus Christ. It's amazing how a really bad person wrote this scripture in Ephesians. Paul was a hypocrite. He was a nasty man. He was mean. He was arrogant. He was a murderer. And then God got a hold of his life and everything changed. Paul figured out that life without Jesus is not life at all. He came to the conclusion and the understanding that the answer to fix every problem in his life is Jesus Christ. God saw you dead in your sins and he had to step in. His rich mercy and his great love propelled him to provide a way back for you to get to heaven. A way back to bring us back to life. That's why God sent Jesus to destroy sin. Jesus came, lived died and he rose again death has been swallowed up in victory death where is your victory oh death where is your sting now the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ church Jesus is alive and because Jesus lives you can live differently he is in control of your past your present and your future Despair over your past failures or fear over your future problems cannot control your present because Jesus lives. And because he lives, there is hope for you. Because he lives, there's peace for you. Because he lives, there's forgiveness for you. Because Jesus Christ is alive, there's joy for you. There's purpose for you. There's victory for you. There's destiny for you. There's greatness for you. There's a life worth living all because Jesus Jesus is alive. Man, slap your neighbor a high five and tell them Jesus is the answer. I wish I could find somebody who was thankful that Jesus didn't stay down, but that he got up and he's alive. You see, the crucifixion was good because it completed the work of forgiveness for our lives, but the resurrection is even better because it proves that everything Jesus said is true. It gives us hope that we can live victorious in this life. The gospel is good news because of the resurrection. The gospel isn't just that Jesus died for our sins, it's also that he rose again. Again, proving once and for all that death is defeated. Sin is defeated. Satan is vanquished. We can live victorious and have eternal life all because Jesus is alive. 
so Jesus is grace. And Jesus is alive. And lastly today, and I'm done. Number three, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. I read to you Matthew 28, verse 20, when he said, Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus said this in order that we would never, we would know that no matter where life takes us, he'll be with us. He'll be there every step of the way, strengthening us, comforting us, and guiding us. And he's with you all because he loves you. 1 John 4, 9 through 10 says, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the appropriation of our sin, for our sins. All 66 books of the Bible, all 40 plus writers, authors writing over the course of 1600 years point to the same thing. God's love for humanity. 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. Nothing, church, can compare to the love that God has for you. You can't describe the height of his love, the length of his love, the depth of his love. Nothing compares to his love. He will love you forever and he will be with you. Jesus is here and he's available to you. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the resurrection and he is the life. Jesus is the victorious king of ages. Jesus rules. Jesus reigns. Jesus is sovereign. He is majestic. He is strong and he is able to help you with anything you are facing in life. You see, in Matthew chapter 28, we have Christ who's been resurrected. He's been resurrected and he's shown himself to his disciples and he's been around the earth showing himself alive to people and it's time for him to ascend back into heaven. And if you've ever been around somebody who's speaking their last words before they depart this life, it's, it can be some of the most crucial times for them. And you want to cling on to the very last thing they need to say to you or want to say to you. And so Jesus' last words before he leaves this earth is, I will be with you everywhere you go. Jesus brought the presence of God to us permanently through the power and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You see, sin is no longer a barrier. You don't have to beg to come to God. You don't have to beg God to come to you. You don't have to plead with him to pay attention to you. He is with you all the time. Jesus is with you in your home, at your job, in your weaknesses, in your temptations, in your failures. You may be facing the toughest situation of your life. Rest assured, God is there. Jesus isn't just with you when you are doing well or full of faith. Uh, he, he loved you when you hated him. And he loves you now. He's on your side, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. His love is unconditional. His love is overwhelming. He is your advocate. He is your biggest fan. No failure is so permanent. No enemy is so powerful that Jesus can't give you victory. Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Church, Jesus is here. Hope 
is here. Joy is here. Peace is here. Forgiveness is here. Redemption is here. Love is here. Jesus is risen. He is alive and he is available to you. Somebody shout, Jesus is the answer. You see, life is is full of ups and downs. But when you understand that Jesus is here and that he is the answer, you can make it through anything. I'm about to tell you why it's so important for you to understand that Jesus Christ is here and that he's available to you. Hear me. If you don't hear anything else, hear, hear, hear this. One day... He will no longer be available to you. Let me, ex- let me explain. He will no longer be available to everyone. But he will be available to some. You see, there is no life without death. There is no believing without following. And there is no forgiveness without repentance. And there's no salvation without surrender. In Matthew chapter 7, in verse 13, it says... Enter through the narrow gate, Jesus says, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and a few find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles in the same way? Every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. And Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and didn't we drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? And then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. 